Hey, Urban Farm Podcast listeners. If you're as passionate about preserving the bounty of each season as we are, hey, I canned my first peaches at the age of 18, and that was a long time ago, then you're going to love what our friends over at Denali Canning have in store for you. They're on a mission to spread the love and knowledge of food preservation, and they're inviting you to join the journey for free. Right now, Denali Canning is offering free canning lids to anyone who wants to dive deeper into the world of food preservation. Yes, you heard that right, absolutely free. It's the perfect opportunity for both seasoned canners and those curious about starting. Denali is about quality, reliability, and supporting the canning community, ensuring that you get the best results every time you preserve. So why not give it a try? Visit DenaliCanning.com forward slash free to claim your free lids and start your preserving adventures today. That's DenaliCanning.com forward slash free. Greetings, urban farmers, gardeners, and healthy food visionaries. Farmer Greg here, and welcome to, believe it or not, the 600th episode of the Urban Farm Podcast, where every day we work together to educate and inspire you to become part of your food revolution. Welcome, welcome, everybody. Greg Peterson coming to you from the Urban Farm in the heart of Phoenix, Arizona, and I'm here with Bill McDormand. Welcome, Bill. Hello, hello. I'm here. <laughs> I, I cracked up when I read this. This is so each month what we do is we get a script, a kind of, not so much of a script, but this is what we're going to talk about. And I usually read it about 10 minutes before this thing starts. So I just want to want to read this to you guys real quick because this is great. It says, come see Passion Unleashed. Those of you who know Bill McDormand from the Rocky Mountain Seed Alliance would think it unlikely he would get more excited about seeds, a particular kind of seeds. But wait until you hear him talk about grains and grasses. Bill is deep into fresh the fresh flower movement. You know, I had to read that twice because my first brain my brain went to cut flower. No, the stuff that you make bread out of. And this right. movement starts with growing and adapting grains to where you live. Learn the difference between our modern, highly processed grains and the ancient ones that are kinder to our bellies and backyards. Who wrote that? Who? Yeah, that was a bell, right? Okay, cool. Well, that's what we're that's what we're talking about tonight. So, thank you for that, Bell. We greatly appreciate it, and welcome, Bill. Let's jump in. Growing grains. So, first of all, here's what I know: what I grow in my yard isn't grains and it's a few eggs because we have hens and it's vegetables which is what 20 percent of our diet maybe right and you told me a long time ago to grow grains because grains is a much bigger part of our diet can you say more about that oh what about 70 percent of the calories it varies wow. you know and it depends on your diet and that includes if you include that we grow most of the grain in this country, the corn anyway, for feed. Not animal, not people feed, animal feed. Animal feed, and we eat the animals, then, you know, up to 80% of our diet is based on grains. Mm -hmm. Wow. So, yeah. So what are you That's, doing about it? Well, so, you know, I got involved when uh, my young farm manager, when I was at Native Seed Search, came up to me one time and said, look, Bill, he said, all these veggies are really great. 
but they are the icing on the cake. He said, we need the cake. <laughs> this was and Evan, he was talking right? about that, that 80%. This was Evan, right? Yeah. Yeah. So you got to tell everybody what happened with Sonoran White Wheat while you were at Native Seed Search. You know, there's, so there's a movement all over the United States uh, for people that are, you know, the, that are smart and questioning the, the supply lines that they have for their food. You know, the, everybody wants more local. They know that makes their local economies better. I mean, and it's not just a little better. It's hundreds of millions of dollars better. That's mm -hmm. what we found out from Ken Meter at his Crossroads Center in Minnesota. If you want to find out if the agriculture where you live is working, <laughs> go to the Crossroads Center website and look up. And they've probably done a study in your area. If they haven't, they'll do one. But we found out in southern Arizona that if we shifted $5 more each person to local food each week yes we're just talking five dollars more a week down at your farmer's market find something local to buy if we did that we would add 300 million dollars to the local economy isn't that amazing arizona that southern arizona's we're buying 3.3 billion dollars of food a year and three billion of it leave those are dollars that go out they never come back right and so we got into a project to grow grains and got a grant, Sarah Grant. It was actually started just before I was there as director, but we had six partners. And one of the grains was uh, white Sonoran wheat, which was one of the oldest wheats in Arizona. It's been there for 400 years. Was that all? Probably oh. brought by Father Kino, the right. first missionary, you know, and it just worked. And it was been saved and adapted. It helped develop a, a beautiful agriculture along the Gila River until the river was dammed, basically by Chandler when they made Chandler, Arizona. Mm -hmm. And that agriculture collapsed and the seeds pretty much disappeared. And Dr. Gary Nabin found a few handfuls as part of starting Native Seed Search. And so we had some of those in our collection. There were some others around. Anyway, we started growing it out. And through this grant, we got six people to actually seriously start. And out of that came a, a real awareness. And I think the second year, some people from Avalon Gardens came to me and said, Bill, we need 400 pounds of white Sonoran wheat. And I said, well, they said, we want to buy it from Native Seed Search. And I said, I, you know, it's pretty short supply. I'm not sure we're in the seed selling business or whatever. And they looked so disappointed. And then I remember something that Vanda Neshiva had said to me about, if farmers need seeds, you give them to them. Yes. And if and when Amen. they can, they will return twice as much. So that's what I said to him. And that was the deal. I said, I'm not going to sell them, but I'll give them to you. And if and when you can, you'll give me 800 pounds back. How's that work? How much did they you got give their them? pad out. And we did an envelope and we figured out that was about 140th of the crop. Oh my gosh. <laughs> that they were going to grow. And they, they, they go, deal. And I realized in that, that if I had sold it to them, that was the end of the deal. Yes. Right? I, I get my money, they get their seeds. And then, but because we did it this way, we were yes. married at the hip around yep. this project. I wanted them to be successful and they wanted to be successful. Yeah. When that, that is the key piece, and I've heard you say this before, that you, you use the word married. You got married in this process. Right. And right. it blew up from there. So continue. So what happened was, I, did, I forgot all about it, to tell you the truth. I was busy. It's a busy job down there. Mm -hmm. I had a million-dollar budget, 13 employees. So I get a call. It's got to be almost two years later. Oh, right. And it's um, Jeff Zimmerman from Hayden Mills. Oh, right. And he goes, Bill, he goes, I got 5,000 pounds 
of white sonoran where do you want it <laughs> and i go i don't have really? five thousand pounds of white sonoran and he goes oh yes you do and i go what are you talking about and he said well your 400 turned into 800 instead of bothering you we just gave that to somebody else who doubled it and then that got doubled again and he said i'm i think there's about five totes here i don't know they said to take it to you <laughs> And I got, you know, so that's the story. We can gear wow. this stuff up. Before I left, there were 1,100 acres of white Sonoran wheat being grown in a new, lo to the basis of a new local grain economy. And every time I go down there and check with the major growers that were part of that original thing, they're doubling their acres. Yeah. You know, BKW Farms is doing it again. I mean, this is really, you know, I'm saying that because, you know, uh, we were trying to skate to where the puck was going to be. Yeah. And you could uh, uh, rightfully accuse us of being out of our minds because it wasn't going <laughs> to economically pay, right? Yeah. To get a farmer to switch on this was just like a long shot. But now, the, you know, we're getting there and the puck is there and people are starting to actually make it work. So Yeah. Well, and I, I know locally Jana Anderson is a large grower of Sonoran white wheat up here in Phoenix. Yeah. You know, yeah. So. Uh, green R&D in Queen Creek. Oh, right. They're large, they're large growers. You know, it's a beautiful wheat. It's not really great for flour, you know, um, for bread flour, white bread flour, because mm -hmm. it doesn't lift. It doesn't have the glutens in the right structure oh, to do right. that, but yep. doesn't have the glutens in the right structure. So, you know, that makes it valuable for another reason, right? That hence, so many people have gut problems. Right. Hence the reason that Bell said, and kinder for our bellies. Yeah, you know, so, you know, there's a couple of things If people are coming, if they're new to this topic, there's a couple of things I would like them to walk away with. One is that, you know, they scientifically, you know, double blind reviewed, peer reviewed papers, they have not found the smoking gun for uh, uh, all of this irritable bowel syndrome. Uh -huh. And millions of Americans have. Go in and see how big the gluten-free aisle is in your local supermarket right. or aisles now, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, this is a huge new profit center for people because people have problems with their guts. And virtually 98% of all the wheat grown in this country that's consumed is grown for white bread. And most of that white bread has up to 22 additives. Wow. It's more like saying Velveeta instead of cheese. They take out half all of the bran, all of the germ, which is where all the flavor and all the nutrition is, by the way. Yeah. And then they put stuff back in to make it good for flour, you know, to make it good for bread. And so uh, do we have bad guts because of that? What, and what's causing it? Well, you know, there's a lot of things that could be causing it. And so what we found generally, and this is the takeaway, is that when we go back earlier into older heritage, heritage and ancient grains, clear back to the first grain, einkorn. And that's what that means. Ein means one, corn means grain, K-O-R-N, einkorn. Einkorn was the first wheat. You go all the way back to einkorn and it's a completely different chromosomal structure, 42% uh, more protein. It has gluten, but not the same uh, kinds and uh, conglomerations of them. Uh, that's my word. And it doesn't seem to hurt people's bellies as much, yeah. generally. All right. And then you add that into the fact that people are going back to old sourdough fermentation. Oh, yes. The old wild yeast. Yes. They take longer. 
industry got away from that because they created these super yeasts that they don't have to, you know, wait as long to get their bread to rise, right? right? And time is money, and that's what we're all eating. But you go back to the old 24-hour, 48-hour ferments and get back into these heritage grains, and people who have had to give up grain totally are now, after a year or two, healing themselves and starting back with small amounts of these things and getting by. Yeah. And that's really exciting. That, so anyway, that's that's powering this movement. Yeah. So I just want to go back and, and reframe one or re relook at one thing real quick. You went from a few handfuls of Sonoran white wheat to what, five or eight years later to tons of it? Thousands of pounds and and eleven hundred acres. Wow. This that's stuff amazing. scales up pretty fast. We have a heritage grain program and we'll send you fifty seeds of some of the heritage and ancient grains. Oh, and yeah. why do we choose, why 50 seeds? That's all we have. <laughs> <laughs> you know, a lot of this stuff has been so marginalized for the last hundred years, it's just really hard to find. But we got a list, it's the 1921 USDA classification of wheat varieties. And it has a map of the whole United States and it shows you what varieties of grains were growing in each state and how many acres. So we had local grain economy. We did that once, and it was before, largely before chemicals. Yeah, that's what we're looking for. And it was largely before these huge, um, you know, center pivot irrigation systems. Right. So it's more drought tolerant. So yeah. we're finding those varieties that were best in each of those states, and we're starting to get small amounts and getting them out to people. So I could send you 50 seeds. You know, we've... Um, we're, we can um, help you decide what grows best where you are, at least from what we've learned so far over the last four years. Send you 50 seeds, and in one year, you can turn that into a pound. In that next year, if you take that pound and plant it, you can turn that into 100 pounds. Oh, wow. And once you have 100 pounds, you're doing acres. Right. And so that's how quickly it scales up. Nice. You know, um, Dr. Ralph Bush, and if you want to know what that means, and another uh, sort of uh, thumbnail um, measurement that we've come up with uh -huh. is Dr. Ralph Bush teaches metallurgy actually at the Air Force Academy in Colorado Springs. And he grows his own grain and makes his own bread and cookies. He's just this really great guy. <laughs> he does it in his backyard on 100 square foot beds, John Jevons style. Oh, right. You, know, you, you don't need a combine to grow grain. And he figures he gets seven loaves of bread off 100 square feet. Wow. So, you know, if you wanted to make your own loaf one a week, you know, you'd need, you know, like eight beds, you know? So this is actually doable for most people. We're learning how to garden grains again yeah. and bring them in and then use that straw in your compost. Use it as a cover crop, your grain, you know? Um, I just had Thunderfoot over here, a good friend of mine who's a seedsman. And he was telling me that what I need to do next is plant all my little tomato plants in and among my um, Sangaste rye plants oh, that right. I've got. And, and the reason is um, I'm going to harvest the rye in a couple months. Right. And then the tomatoes will be just kind of get protected and be in. They'll just yes. become so uh, as a rotational thing. Oh, my God. It, the possibilities are endless. So you mentioned John Jevons. Yeah. We had John on the podcast on episode 423 and 424. So I had him for two podcasts. So if you wanna if you wanna jump into John Jevons and his uh, square foot gardening method, no, he's not the square foot gardener. That was uh, he's biointensive. Biointensive gardener. That's right. You can go to urbanfarmpodcast.com 
and type in John Jevons and he's there. So, well, it's uh, those two podcasts are two of the most amazing I've ever heard on any podcast by anybody. So congratulations. Oh, well, thank you. And part of, you know, John is just one of those world changing characters. Yeah. You know, his books used in 143 countries. Wow. It really does hold hope for us to grow enough food everywhere for everybody. There's yeah. no reason for anybody to start. Right. And they've got the methods down and he's done it. He's done the work. Yeah. Hey, Christina uh, said, if white Sonoran wheat is not good for bread flour, what do you use it for? Well, guess what? That's where the whole idea of the flour tortilla came from. Ah, very good. The Tohono Autumn and what we call the Gila people in southern Arizona were growing corn and making tortillas until Father Kino get there. And the simplified story, and who knows if it's ever this simple, right. is that one he brought white Sonoran because it's the body of Christ. They had to have those little white wafers for their Sunday services. And so wherever the missionaries, the Spanish missionaries went in the 1600s, they brought their wheat and they would grow it out and make these wafers. And so when the natives here, Native Americans figured out that they could grow a whole nother crop, the first thing they said was, wow, can you make tortillas out of these? <laughs> and White Sonora is famous for those huge, big, white flour tortillas. So that's the number one. Thing that is used for it's also favored by bakers there's this um and i'm not you know my palate isn't that well developed but they tell me that the the hard red wheats that have those are tannins and those mm -hmm. have their own flavor and you take all of those out of a wheat kernel which is what you get when you get a white wheat and there's actually more of the other flavor comes through and so they say it's actually one of the more flavorful wheats and i use white sonora in Almost everything I bake, I just make sure I have other things in there also. Nice, 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 nice. Christina says, what was that Crossroads something? Did you say something about Crossroads? It's called the Crossroads Center, and it's in um, Minnesota. And the man's name, if you'll just Google up, Ken Meter, M-E-T-E-R, Crossroads Center. <clears throat> and oh. find out that your local agriculture, basically American agriculture is a holding, it's an asset holding activity until uh, land can be sold to be developed. Right. There's almost no farms in the country that are actually making money. By the time they pay for the inputs oh, yes. and, they, and commodity prices are set outside on a world scale, almost nobody is making money on their farms. And it's just shocking that we're wasting our soil, we're using up our water, we're pumping out half the greenhouse gases around a system that act, that's making us sick and 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 is bankrupting us yeah all right it's families are still being pushed off corporations are taken over and then nobody's home their whole their whole aim now and they're really focusing on it because it's the only thing they can think of economically is to farm without farmers to have it all roboticized all oh, right drones oh. and robots and chemicals Right. Uh, Bio, boy, that's, that's why we need to grow our own food in our cities, in our neighborhoods, in our own gardens. And it's possible. Well, yeah, we'll I would say that every day. Well, you know what I've learned, and this is what the fresh flower movement's about, is that once you do it, I was just on a there's a couple of great um, new sourdough um, baking Facebook groups. Oh, wow. That started really? up during covid. And there are literally thousands, Greg thousands of people on these sites and today there was this uh, strain people are having this discussion about um 
Um, do you guys ever go out to eat anymore after you figured out how to do your own local fresh ground grain and make wow. your own bread and pasta? Uh -huh. And every single person on the goes, nope, 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 nope. <laughs> you know? And that's what happened to me. It's just like, you can't go back. Yeah. It is so much better. And that's what's really propelling this. You know, you can do it for all the big macro and economic and political reasons. And we should do it for that, too. But the real reason is it's just oh, unbelievably good. Bella and I made buckwheat pasta. Oh. Fresh ground buckwheat. I've got my little mock mill so that I can grind. You know, so you don't want to break the shell of your grain until just before you eat it. Why? Because volatile oils are inside. Oh, and the second right. you break it, they start to volatize. They're volatile, right? And they, that's your uh, flavor and you, your nutrition. So you want to, that's where the fresh flower part, the fresh part comes wow. from this movement. You know, and, so, and you want to do it with a mill that is horizontal with stones. Because, why? Because those stones rub those oils into your flour really deep and the whole thing starts tasting on a level you've never had before. So do you and have- Fortunately, a... we've got little desktop mills now. Everybody could have one. Buy your grains whole and you're in business. What, which one do you use? I use a mill called Mock, Mock Mill, M-O-C-K-M-I-L-L. -L. Is that and a stone? So, is it a stone one? It is stone. So here's the story about mills. The number one selling and probably the best one in the world um, for years has been a mill called Como, K-O-M-O. -O. And they're handmade in Belgium and they've got beautiful wooden, you know, um, covers around the stone mills. And I've always wanted one. The problem is they're hundreds of dollars. Mm -hmm. And so one of the partners that started that, actually the engineer who did the stones, the mill part, mm -hmm. Howard or uh, Wolfgang Mach, he's the Mo in Como. He broke off a few years ago and said, you know what? We could put recycled plastic around these stones and cut the price way down and actually um, start selling these to everybody. And that's what they've done. And so I have a mock mill 200 and maybe somebody can put the link in the chat or something for people. I, I can do that right now. Um, uh, the mock mill 200 is 300 bucks. I, I bought, you can buy the mock mill 100 and it'll work fine for almost everybody. Yeah. I got the two when, when uh, they told me that I could literally run it for 24 hours a day and grind up enough flour for a whole village. If I wanted to, wow. they just put a little better motor in it, yeah. you know? But anyway, once you do that, you'll never go back. That's, that's my, you know, that's, well, you could, but, yeah, you know. That's M-O-C-K-M-I-L-L dot U-S. Yes. Mockmill dot U-S. That's where you find them. Wow. You know, I cool. talked to them a few months ago and they were sold out because of COVID. You know, everybody <laughs> was staying home and baking and doing sourdough. So I don't know what the availability is now, but they're, it's a great company, great people, and a great mill. I've had no, I've had mine almost for two years now, and. Never had a problem. Nice. So we got some questions here um, okay. that kind of I want to dig a little deeper into this whole grain thing. Atlas wants to know, does the previously mentioned clipper seed thresher also process einkorn? Yeah. So here's the thing to understand about einkorn is that it is what they call a hulled grain. So in other words, you know, um, it's basically a wild grass. Right. The people have been saving the seeds from for 14,000 years. Wow. And grinding up the things and making bread. We know that now. There's, you know, 
So anyway, um, most einkorns, and there are hundreds of varieties. You can imagine it's been taken all over the world from eastern Turkey, where it was probably discovered and first used. It's been taken all over the world and saved and adapted. And you can find it in all sorts of different heights and colors and, and, and drought tolerant and flood tolerant. You know, it's done what grain should do. Um, but most of it, almost, I, I, you'd have to say all of it, except for a couple of exceptions, the seed itself, once it falls off the, once you harvest it, still has a hull on it. Right. So your clipper won't do that. The clipper will um, get rid of chaff. It'll get rid of all the stems and all mm, the other big stuff. Right. That's a, a clipper for people that don't know is a seed cleaner. And I grow, you know, I'm growing, you know, my hundred square foot beds of grains now. And I don't have a clipper to do that. I just have um, screens. You can do it with hand screens. The ones you use to, 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 uh, to do regular seed cleaning. And you can get a set of those screens at a place called Southern Exposure Seed Exchange. And somebody could probably put, you know, Google that up and put it in the chat also. They've right. got a really nice set of screens. And you can build your own little wooden boxes around them. Or you, I think they sell a set now with the boxes around them. But that's all you really need to clean your grains. Now, once you clean your einkorn, though, you still have a hole. And so that's where a de-huller comes in. And there are different methods for doing that. There are hand methods, but they're all... They, they're hard. Uh, there are small hand crank de-hullers. There's small machine ones. It's um, something you have to get into. The problem with it, a couple of things. One is that you'll never get it set so that it completely gets all the holes or you will get rid of about 30 to 40% of your grain. You know, you just lose it. It gets broken up or it just never makes it. And so, you know, for people that do this, um, and really love it, uh, chicken food, or, you know, it's food for another system, but it does, you know, decrease your, your um, yield. Now, last year, for the first time, we started hearing rumors, and then we got the seeds, Greg, to a free threshing einkorn. It's like regular grain. You don't have to de-hull it. Wow. And I grew did some. that? Well, it came through John Shirk, is it this grainiac, we call him, lives in the Midwest, who's been doing a lot of this grain stuff for everybody. Right. And he got it from somebody in Europe. This thing, this is a worldwide movement. People are, it's like a big treasure hunt. People are looking <laughs> under this and, and going back and following right. stories and finding old timers. And so it's called black and tan einkorn. Black and, and tan. We, black and tan because the seeds themselves, I'll pull up a picture before we get off and I'll, and I'll share it with everybody. But it is a beautiful grain. It is just a beautiful grain. Might have one here nice. that I can show people. So I, I want to touch on, before we get too far along, how people can get grains. Because we have a question here from Beth. She says, is there a strain of cold, hardy, high-altitude grain that will grow in Utah? And so I'm sure that, I'm sure you've got something. And how do people find out about the grains that they can get from Rocky Mountain Seed Alliance? Well, there's a couple of things. So we have put together a program and we're going to, it'll be in September. I think we start, we're going to do an online uh, grain school. Oh, nice. So if you want to do the, if you want to, you know, go down the, the rabbit hole yep. with Alice and never come back, then that's <laughs> what, that's what you want to do. And we'll give you the whole big story about everything. Um, in lieu of that, we have a program called the Heritage Grain Program. 
at Rocky Mountain Seed Alliance. And so we ask for a $50 donation because that just helps keep the lights on and keeps this thing going. And with that, you tap into that you can tap into the 285 varieties of grains that we have um, discovered or have been sent to us so far. How and we're many? starting to get a 285 different wow. grains. And these aren't available for sale. There's no single place you can go buy them. This has all been cobbled together in real time around people that are really excited to do this. And so right. that's, again, you know, people know that we're getting a reputation. People go, oh my God, get those guys that black and tan einkorn. And we only got a little bit and I grew out, and I, we've got about three or four ounces now. And so we're sending 50 seeds out to people through our heritage cream trials program. Of course, we know what works in Utah, um, somewhat. We don't know if there's uh, thousands of grains that might work in Utah. There were 30,000 varieties of wheat alone growing in the United States in 1900. Wow. Is that you all? know, we're just, this is like a big treasure chest we're opening back up again. Right. And so we've got the list of the things that were working in 1921. One of those varieties is, um, and, and one of the most successful in the northern part of Utah was known as loft house wheat. Ken? Loft house. Where have I heard that? Ken? That's, what's that? Isn't it Ken loft house? No, his name is Joseph. Joseph, there you go. Joseph is one of our uh, seed stewards. He teaches at our seed schools. He's just released his, um, he's starting to release his new book called Land Race Gardening, wow. which is going to change, start changing things. Turns out loft house wheat was his grandpa. If that's his family wheat from northern Utah, these guys have been in the selecting and saving their own varieties for a long time. Yeah. And so those are the kinds of treasures and stories that happen. So just let me add one more thing about grains that grow high and cold in Utah. Generally, wheat doesn't grow as high and as cold as rye or barley. Okay, so you may get up out of the wheat zone if you get high enough and cold enough. I'll just tell you that. So you may want to go for the other grains because they're, you know, they're bomb proof. We found a variety of rye that's been growing for a hundred years and reseeding itself in Flagstaff, Arizona without any care for a hundred years. Wow, really? Yeah, it was just an old field and, and Steve Olson did some research and the field was owned by a man named Coach Phil. And he would drive by it on his way to work and after he started learning the grains, he goes, I think that's rye. <laughs> and so when you get the seeds there, um, it looks almost like wild rice, all the different colors. It's reverting back to the wild. Mm -hmm. And they're at 7,000 feet wow. in Flagstaff. And this rye is taking care of itself. So we have all sorts of possibilities with this. Wherever you live, we can find a grain that will work for you. So that's RockyMountainSeeds.org. And on the front page, there's a drop-down menu called Heritage Grains. Yeah, we've got 185 people now um, signed up for this program that are growing grains. And then what we'll ask you to do is we like to send you three if it's your first year. Increase those. And we like you to send us back at least 100 seeds. And some people are sending us back a half a pound because that's <laughs> half of what they they right. they did. And then we can use those to send them to other people. And we started this program with like 12 people. And now we have 185. Nice. And this is, you know, this is how we're going to resurrect local grain economies all over the Mountain West. It's really an exciting program. Yeah, or in worldwide, even, it sounds like. Well, we've got a lot. We have people from all over the world. Yeah, you know, with yeah, that, we right. didn't start out that way, but, right. you know, whatever. <laughs> um, 
Christina says grain school was awesome. She went last year. She also Dang. says, can you eat the rye that grows from the rye originally used for cover, cover crops? Oh, yeah. It's all the, the interesting thing about the history of rye. Mm -hmm. Rye is different than wheat. Wheat has gone through two what we call catastrophic sexual transformations. It's a completely different plant. The modern wheat has 42 chromosomes. Mm -hmm. All right. Uh, einkorn has 14. And it's gone through a couple of changes in between. Whereas rye is the same. Rye is just a wild grass. Cicale cereal mm -hmm. is its Latin name. And it's just been saved and selected and moved around. And so it's used as a cover crop by farmers who don't harvest it to eat as all, well, or it goes to bird food. Interesting. But you bet you can. And if you've got some growing where you are and you're used to it, start saving it. Start <laughs> saving those kernels that are big, the ones you like, maybe the best flavor, you know, and you can have your own variety. What I'm laughing about is Christina says it grows as a weed everywhere in Colorado. Yeah. Well, good. Thank you. <laughs> Food That's growing we everywhere, right? Weeds to feed the people. Yeah. Aren't we lucky? Right. Exactamundo. Um, you mentioned rice a little while ago, and Atlas wants to know uh, uh, advice on growing dryland rice. Yes. Do it. Do you know anything so, about it? Oh, God. John Shirk, who is the Graniac um, from the Midwest, Indiana, I think who's done so much work with all the grains, his friends bid him goodbye. When he got into grains, they knew they wouldn't see him for years. <laughs> and that's what happened. He just right. got into it and started growing and trying and then making seeds available. And in the end, he's wrapping it up. He's giving up the, uh, he's been shipping out small amounts of seeds to people all over the world now for years. And he's um, going on to other things. He needs a break. Yeah. And bless you, John, for all the hard work that you've done. And one of his summary statements after going through all the ancient grains, he's got einkorn. He's the one who sent us the black and tan einkorn. Going through all of these grains, um, he said, for the time, energy, and money for the small grower in the United States, probably uh, upland rice is what we should be growing. You'll get more rice more easily and more, more good food out of it than any of the other wow. grains. And so that's the ending statement on that. And so we're, I think we've got 14, I don't know, I'd have to ask, you know, it keeps growing the program that we found largely through John that we make seeds available for. So upland rice is, it's called upland or dryland rice for one very good reason. You don't need a rice patty. Oh, okay, man. you can grow it in a regular field the way you grow your other grains. Okay, so it's, you know, it's just, and so um, rice paddy rice is really great because you don't have to weed. <laughs> right, yeah. Everything else drowns. They just found a variety that worked with the water. Christina wants to know how do you spell shirk? S-H-E-R-C-K. And that's a person. That is John Shirk. Shirk Seeds. There you go. Cool, cool. Wow, we have, you know, as usual, we have packed so much into the past, we're almost 45 minutes now. Um, you know, uh, what I realized, Bill, was the amazing amount of data that we've collected from you in the 40 or 50 times that we've gotten together on a monthly basis to do these. In fact, we might have more than 50 episodes of this on the podcast, and I, I was just sitting over here in deep gratitude to have 
the amount of data that you've shared with us over the past <laughs> five, five years since we've been doing these. So thank you. Well, it's my pleasure. I'm going to share my screen real quick, if you don't mind. Yeah, okay. For everybody, just for a second here. Right. I'll, I'll, um, try and ex I'll try and explain it as best as I can because the people that yeah, I've are got a couple of the people you know, that are we're listening on the podcast won't be able to see it. Oh, the, okay, yeah. So it's just a picture of John Shirk growing, standing in one of his rice fields. Wow. Nice. He said, "I've devoted most of my time growing out specific varieties for each species, be it grains or legumes." While this has its merits as a seed business, it seems to make less sense when planning for or mitigating against climate change. Okay, so that's one of the reasons he's stopping this business of growing each of the grains out individually and passing out the seeds. What we're learning now is that we're calling them evolutionary mixes. So what would be better is if you mixed 50 of John Shirk's varieties of rices together and planted them in your yard wow. and see which ones worked. Well, then and one or two or three of the varieties will work better. And those are the ones you save seeds from and you're on your way and wow. you don't have to grow, you know? And then later, if you want to scale it up to a, a, an industrial level or a market garden level where you need, you know, more information about it, then you mail it off to the university and let them tell you what variety it is. In other words, we as little people don't have time or energy to do university level experiments anymore in the face of climate change. What we need to know is which of those upland rices work for us. Now, at Rocky Mountain Seed Alliance, we don't have an upland rice evolutionary mix yet because we don't have enough of those varieties, but we're getting there. But you can get one for wheat now. And so um, we're getting there. And that's what I'm, you know, I grew 60 um, grains. I mixed everything one year and, <laughs> and grew them all. One nice. summer to see what would work, and and guess what? It everything died because it was 115 that summer, right? In the heat, except for one thing, chia. Oh. Who would have thunk? Right. That's what I need to be growing in the summer here. But that knowledge is invaluable for what we're doing. So on Shirk Seeds, the website, it's posted in the uh, in the chat box. That's s. H-E-R-C-K-Seeds.com. It says, I am currently filling rice seed orders for the 2021 season. So there you go. Thanks. But I just got an update, and he's only going to do that till May 1st. Oh. And then he's, he's done with the business. Lots of his seeds are now in other places, and they're still available. Wow. But um, he's not going to do it anymore. So take advantage. Right. Wow. Cool. Um, let's see. Allison Gonzalez says, I think I could grow some grain in my yard. What do you say, Bill? I know what I say. Of course. Go for it. Absolutely. If Absolutely. you, if, you know, my favorite thing is I could send you one einkorn seed. You could plant it in a pot on your deck or, you know, in a southern window in your house. You could grow the plant up and get 500 seeds uh -huh. and send me some. And that would help us. I mean, whatever you can do, yeah. it would be worth it. Just to, if you, you know, it's amber waves of grain. <laughs> your neighbors will come over and cry. There's something primordial about seeing your grains right. that is just so beautiful. Alan and Lori want to know how big of a plot is needed for 50 wheat plants. Um, 50 wheat plants with, well, um, L.A. Ragosa has done a lot of the pioneering work that we um, uh, jumped on, and, and bless her. She... Mm -hmm. Um, uh, 
her Green Conservancy in Maine is a nonprofit that's done a lot of work. And her work on spacing says that for these heritage and ancient grains, she has found she gets the highest yield if you give each plant about a square foot. Oh, wow. So do, so do one foot spacing. You can do one foot equidistant spacing if you're doing beds, but John Jevons wise. Yeah. So, but, but that's what, you know, that's what huh. they've found. That goes against conventional wisdom. Well, right. conventional wisdom around grain is all you need a 20-foot head combine in an industrial system right. where you plant everything right next to each other. Yeah. And these varieties were never meant to be in that system. So Allison also wants to know, is there one you could suggest for Las Cruces, New Mexico? It's hot and dry here. Um, well, there, didn't you yeah. say that you can help that on Rocky Mountain Seeds? There's a way to kind of yeah, what happens the way is through that? You can go through and order grains now. Yeah, sign up for a program, then you can get into the back end and order grains. And Leanne Hill, who's the director of Rocky Mountain Seed Alliance now, um, is the person. She's been talking almost personally to everybody in this program and taking feedback. And so she can kind of, she knows people in and around where you are and can kind of tell you what's worked or hasn't worked or what might be worth trying and so that's nice. the kind of we're leveraging this we're you know we're waking up as a community again let's figure this out my own personal if you want to blow the minds of the people that are there and grow a grain that works in hot and dry then grow tibetan purple barley it is the most beautiful thing to grow you've nice. ever seen and the barley is dark purple and it's just beautiful and wonderful and there are lots of barley recipes out there we're discovering pancakes even just cooking it like rice it's incredible we flower do arrangements. flower arrangements oh yes Thank you. you know and so yeah the wow factor and it works I, you know we started with a handful at uh at uh hayden mills jeff zimmerman and and steve sossaman grain r d mm -hmm. the people you know in queen creek how hot does it get in queen creek in the summer oh 120 easy we gave them a few handfuls, and I went back, I think, three years later, walked into their new warehouse, and they had 1,000-pound totes stacked all the way to the ceiling, this huge amount. I go, what is that? And he goes, Tibetan purple barley. And I go, where did you get all this? And he goes, well, we just kept planting, you know, harvesting and planting, harvesting and planting. And, I, and he looked at me, Travis looked at me, and he goes, it works really, really well here wow. in the desert. Yeah, thousand year old tibetan barley wow this is you know i mean the the grain i'm growing now and if you go to the rocky mountain seed lines um uh heritage grains um group actually it's on our uh, facebook page you can see mine now i'm growing harani durham wheat harani durham durhams are the um the semolinas they're the most grown ancient wheat around the planet now because that's mm -hmm. what they use in Italy for pasta. Oh, right. And I'm growing, so I'm growing this pasta wheat that is just drop dead beautiful because it has long black hairs, ons, coming off it. Well, Harani is mentioned in the Old Testament. It was being grown by Nebuchadnezzar. Oh, so wow. Just Think about it. more than 2000 year old story that comes into my yard with my wheat and I make my own pasta, throw it in my mock mill, fresh ground. I've got my little um, pasta roller. Handmade. Once you do homemade pasta, oh my God. Man, I'm looking forward to when I slow down and yeah. can uh, turn my gardening hobby into uh, my gardening retirement so I can do all this stuff. 
Well, you know what? This will slow you down. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, Bill, thank you so very much for once again joining us. Next month, I'm going to figure out how many of these we've done, and we'll announce it. But it's got to be well over 50. Yeah. So yeah. thank you. Yeah, another year's gone by. Thank you. Thank you for what you do. Thank you for the Urban Farm Podcast. Listen to John Jevons' yes. podcast if you, if you want to just, uh, you know, we need inspiration these days, and you're providing it with these great, great things. So thank Woo. you for you. And yeah, right. let's go. Go grow some grains. RockyMountainSeeds.org is your website? Yep, that's it. Great. Yeah, and, sign up for Grain School. <laughs> and um, for those of you that are listening out there, go check out our website, Bill Bell. Janice, Kari, and I, Bill, Bell, Janice, Kari, and I started a business a few years ago called the Great American Seed Up. Go to greatamericanseedup.org and check it out. That is an amazing process that we've set up. And uh, watch the video on the front front uh, page, and we'll talk about it next uh, And, you, next and you can get white Sonora and, uh, oh, yes. and rye out yes. of there. Very good. Yeah. Very good. We should add that uh, barley that you talked about. Yeah, well, you know, I thought we had plenty, so we didn't grow any. And uh, it turns out Queen Creek, you know, the boys in Queen Creek sold out. And then they sold out for next year. Oh, my God. There is none. So we're starting from scratch again. I've got some up in my yard. You know, that is actually a very interesting thing because we, we package and sell seeds for the Great American Seed Up in a very unique way. And that's one of the things that we've been challenged with is massive seed shortages. Yeah. We should, you know what, let's do a little bit of research and let's talk about that next month. Cause you can go to some websites and Johnny seeds, not selling to home growers at this uh, point. That was, a, there was a short period. It was a sign up on their website for a while, yeah. several weeks that yeah. said they were only going to service their commercial growers. Well, there you go. Uh, Kiersey says, cannot wait to be able to sign up for Seed School. You can right now. Seed School yeah. Online. Yeah. Isn't it SeedSchoolOnline.com? Yeah, that's, you know, that was, um, we condensed our six-day program into a one-day program, and then we condensed that into a basic seed-saving online program that that uh, is available through the Urban Farm. So. Yep. Go to SeedSchoolOnline.com. And that will also plug you into a fairly active Facebook page. So yeah, I was uh, I watched it the other day, just that you know at first Bell did, and then because we were wondering just how well it would hold up as far as you know the new all the new um, diversity, equity, and inclusion language yeah. that's going around, you know, and um, and I just was trying to think about how you know the, things have changed a bit, and maybe I could update or whatever. And my overall impression. It blew me away. It's actually better yeah. <laughs> because well, I'm just getting older. Right. Man, I, there are some really great stuff in that course. Yes, you know, it really is. And, and it's well organized. So, yeah. Well, you yeah, guys did a great job of that. Thank you. All right. All right. Thank you all for joining us. It's, uh, we had a bunch of you online today. Thank you for joining us. And uh, we will see you next month um when we talk about receipt shortages absolutely yeah all right thanks bill all right bye, bye everybody bye. we hope you enjoyed today's episode of the urban farm podcast remember to listen for tips advice and resources to help you on your journey with urban farming you can find us on the web at urbanfarm.org or send us an email to podcast at urbanfarm.org in the words of vincent van gogh great things are done by a series of small things brought together 
Be encouraged that with each lesson learned and skill developed, you are one step closer in the direction of your dreams. Hey, Urban Farm Podcast listeners. If you're as passionate about preserving the bounty of each season as we are, hey, I canned my first peaches at the age of 18, and that was a long time ago, then you're going to love what our friends over at Denali Canning have in store for you. They're on a mission to spread the love and knowledge of food preservation, and they're inviting you to join the journey for free. Right now, Denali Canning is offering free canning lids to anyone who wants to dive deeper into the world of food preservation. Yes, you heard that right, absolutely free. It's the perfect opportunity for both seasoned canners and those curious about starting. Denali is about quality, reliability, and supporting the canning community, ensuring that you get the best results every time you preserve. So why not give it a try? Visit DenaliCanning.com forward slash free to claim your free lids and start your preserving adventures today. That's DenaliCanning.com forward slash free.